plays jazz. Playing jazz. Smoothie. Making smoothie. Calendar. No meetings today. Remember, dentist at 9.30. Fire off. Fire off. Open door. Door open. And we're going to do one more. Fire Open door. Wrong voice command. Open door. Wrong voice command. Open. Open door. Repeat that. Open door. I didn't understand that. Hey, open door. Play on the floor. Sing on the floor. Get over the floor. Open the door. Wrong open voice the door. command. Error. Hey, Leon. Good to rock. Open door. Simplicity is king, but why does it seem so far out of reach in every area of life? Simplicity seems to be just out there. Everything seems to get more complex, not simpler. Um, And when something is simpler, it gets highlighted. Like this week, a senator going to the inauguration gets highlighted because of his simple garb. You may have seen this meme, and uh, this meme applies to our house. My wife, anytime the temperature drops below 68 in the house during the winter. Actually, our house never gets above 68 in the winter. But anyway, uh, you know, simplicity, it, uh, it's king, and it seems to be elusive, especially when it comes to areas of faith. For some reason, we seem to make everything more complicated rather than simply accessible. And Jesus came to make God accessible. We just sang about that. God loves the world. God gave his son. We want to crown him king. All of that is because Jesus came to make himself and God accessible. Yet we complicate everything. Now, we have to be very careful that in the desire to keep faith simple, that we really say what it's all about. There's a way to simplify faith and to lose the core truth of the good news in the gospel. So it's a fine balancing act. But as churches, we normally have a history of making it more complex. Special languages, special understandings, special rules that somebody from the outside coming in doesn't totally get because it's out of sync with regular life. If you were to go back and look at Jesus, uh, some of his sticking points with the Pharisees, with the religious rulers of the day, was that he was simplifying things and they didn't like it. They liked code words. They liked all of that. And the world uh, has seen it. The world outside of following Christ gets that. And so when the outside world tries to depict what a Christian really is about, they don't totally get it. And some of that reason isn't because the message is complicated. It's not because they don't have ears that can hear. 
It's because we as Christ followers have muddied the water. We've made it confusing instead of understanding. Um, Even just watch this and watch this depiction uh, from the TV show Seinfeld. It's not one of my favorite TV shows. There's plenty in there that make me go, ooh. But uh, they have a good read on the way the outside world sometimes looks at church world. And if you're new today, if you're listening online, uh, we do SoundCloud for the first service. If you're listening and, and uh, you're just trying to check things out, you probably get this more than those of us who might be insiders. But j- just watch as Ellen discovers some things about her boyfriend. Hi. Two and ten. <laughs> okay. Don't peel out. I won't. I don't know about you, if you're a Christ follower, I have to be first to admit that if you were to push all the presets on my radio, you wouldn't hear all Christian music. Oh no. But there are some of us that project that way, and that is fine, and that's great, but an outsider expects to get into your car and expects, in a sense, you to live in a different world than they live in. And we do still live on the same planet. Earlier on, we saw that uh, the idea of being Christ-centered and experiencing the power is so important. And last week and this week, we're unpacking what it means to embrace the practices of being Christ-centered. And we're seeing that it's, it's very simple in a sense. It's not complex. But just watch how um, Ellen tries to bring into meaning what she experienced by listening to her boyfriend's car radio. This is some of her thoughts. I borrowed Putty's car and all the presets on his radio were Christian rock stations. <laughs> so you think that Putty actually believes in something? It's, it's a used car. He probably never changed the presets. Yes, he is lazy. Plus, he probably doesn't even know how to program the buttons. Yes, he is dumb. So you prefer dumb and lazy to religious? Dumb and lazy, I understand. (laughs) You see, that's what she's thinking. That's what they're thinking. So when you think about simplicity, when you think about complexity, and you think about faith and what we project, we've talked about branding Uh, that's where these three people are are coming from. That's what what they're thinking. So Ellen is thinking that her boyfriend really is not with it and uh, is lazy and those kinds of things. And then she's surprised that once she deletes all those presets, this is what she uh, discovers. Did you get that radio, the old switcheroo? I did. Mm -hmm. And the Christian rock? Resurrected. (laughs) And look. But I pried off of his bumper a Jesus fish. So you're disappointed he's a spiritual person? Well, yeah, I got him because he seems so one-dimensional. I feel misled. I think it's neat. You don't hear that much about God anymore. Interesting. That last line, you don't hear that much about God anymore. Why is that? What does that mean? How are people hearing about God? 
George thinks that you ought to hear more about it. But again, as we've talked in other messages, how we present that and how we do that is of utmost importance. There's, a, there's an approach that kills the content, and there's an approach that lets the content, the message, the good news, the gospel start to get some traction in somebody else's life. And you and I, those of us who consider ourselves Christ followers, need to really wrestle with what's going on, what perceptions are in the world, not to, not to get after them, but to say, how do I engage the world that God has placed me in? Talked a couple weeks ago how I, I really strongly believe God has placed you in this world, in this time, in this culture, during COVID time, during political times, during whatever, for a reason. He's wired you to be here. There's another verse in Ephesians that talks about God, in a sense, preordaining, preparing good works acts of kindness, Christ-centeredness, well in advance for you and I to be a part of. And we want to make sure we're not missing out on engaging in those good works that God in ancient times said, I want to have this set up so my Christ follower, in this case Dave, responds this way and points to me. So I've set everything in motion. Let's see what he's going to do. So this idea of simply Christian not being complicated is just so, so important. And again, sometimes we get into these situations where really those around us might know that we're religious. They don't even really know what that means, but they don't know that we're a Christ follower. Listen to Ellen calling her boyfriend out on it. Feels like an Arby's night. Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh, so you're pretty religious. That's right. So is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. Where in the world did the greater world get that idea that a Christ follower might respond that way? And you and I hopefully wouldn't say it that way, but does our lifestyle, does our conversations point to that attitude? And you watch Elaine, she is shocked that her boyfriend would care just about himself and not about her. So where have they picked that up from? Where have they read about that? Where have they seen it? They've seen it in our world. So a return to what it means to be simply Christian, accessible without watering down what it means to be a Christ follower, is something that you and I if we're trying to engage in following Christ, need to give our attention, need to, in a sense, give uh, our thoughts. So it comes back down to this question that's been hanging in the air for the last three weeks is, what is a Christian? Uh, Paul defines it this way. This is the verse we've been using. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. I have to, on a daily basis, remind myself that it's in Christ, the way he lived, 
the way he interacted with people. That's how I find out what I'm supposed to be about. I have to look at 2,000 years ago. I have to look at the world he lived in. I have to find the timeless truth, and then I have to apply it to 2021. I just don't do this by accident. It just doesn't happen. That's where I need to be engaged and think and say, what is going on in 2021 that gets hinted to in Jesus' day that I can apply and live out? So the way you were generous in Jesus' day might be a little different than the way you're generous in this day. So I'd encourage you, for example, uh, many of us have gotten government stimulus checks. Some of us needed those. Some of us, that was just extra money. As a Christ follower, I want to be generous with that. So I have to at least ask the question, what is that for? Is that for me to go out and buy a new iPhone? Maybe. Hopefully. No, no. (laughs) But uh, what is that for? Or maybe God has set my life in motion that Cindy and I got two checks, whatever it was, uh, what was it back in the summer, Uh, $1,200, and what are we going to do with that? And then we just got another two. What are we going to do with that? Again, looking at timeless principles, I don't think Jesus would have just taken that money and just gone and blown it. He would have strategically used it. So... In Christ, that's where we find out who we are and what we are living for. So we talked about, again, the focus that being Christ-centered can produce in our life, the power it can produce in our life, and then we started to look, what does that practically look like? How do I embrace Christ-centered? It's just not something that's in my head, in my heart. It actually flows out into the daily rhythms and patterns of my life. Last week, we talked about the great commandment, which kind of starts to open up this area. And the great commandment basically is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. We talked about what it means to get into a relationship with God so that you actually say, I love the Lord my God. He's not just the God. He's my God. You can go back and, and look at that and uh, listen to that message. And then the idea of loving your neighbor. All the rules for Christianity boil down to simply this. Love God, love others. The rest of the scriptures are all about how to do that. So how are we doing that? Jesus, in his own words, says, live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Anytime in my heart I go, wow, this is going overboard. I, I shouldn't have to be that generous to somebody else. I just need to stop and go, how generous has Jesus, has God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit been to me? Wow, he's been pretty generous. So if I'm going to live the way God lives to me towards others, I guess I can cross that line and go an extra mile in expressing generosity and graciousness. Simply Christian is about love. 
I love what Bob Goff said, and these books are available in our library on Right Now Media. All the information's in your program, so you can find all that if you take a couple moments. But the bottom line for last week and this week is this. When you love like Jesus, you live like Jesus. I might even add the thought, when you love like Jesus, you die like Jesus. Jesus died giving his life away for others. Today's my birthday, as some of you know. No need to say happy birthday, and I'm getting old and all that. But I think about how I am going to finish out my life. How will I die? Will I die living like Jesus? Or will I die like many Americans living for myself? Will I harness all my resources from the years that I was productive per se? And will I try to just have the best retirement possible? And I'm all for good retirements, but will it be living for me or will it be living and dying like Jesus? These are hard questions. These are serious questions. These are simple questions with significant ramifications for our lives. So we've got the great commandment, and then we have this idea of the great commission. And I think the great commission is an expression of loving God and loving others. When you love God and you love others, he's given us a commission, a job to do. So go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The idea of baptism means going public with your faith, helping them identify their life with Christ. Every once in a while we have a baptism, and the person is going public saying, I'm all in. doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I'm all in. Leading up to Easter, there will be another class, and then there will be a baptism Easter Sunday. And people were asking people to say, are you ready to say, I'm all in? I'm getting baptized. I'm identifying my life to Christ. That word go is so important. If you want to circle it, sometimes we think it's so go. So it's like the difference maker partners we support around the world. Those are the people going. That word can actually be translated as you go. As you go through life, make followers of all the people you come in contact with. I have to ask myself in the morning, go and I wake up, I go, am I, as I go through the motions of my day, am I thinking how, as I go through my day, can I create moments, can I create uh, a desire, a, a contagious, in a sense, desire for others to become followers of Christ? So this, this, this great commission isn't the great omission for people that stay home with their lives. This is the great commission for all of us as a Christ follower as we go, and only a few of us go around the world, but as we go, we make followers of Christ. That's not to discount God's work in that process, but for some reason, God has chosen to use you and I. And I find the more I'm focused on making followers of Christ, it's amazing the more followers of Christ I see. When I'm not focused in on it, my life doesn't seem to touch that many. So this idea of as I go, 
then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. What's he commanded us? Love God and love others. Now apply that, live that. And the next verse is so crucial to part of the verse. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day right up to the end of the age. Folks, is God's presence missing in your life? Complaining about his silence? There is a possibility might not be the only reason, but there's a possibility, there's a question I have to ask every once in a while, is the reason I don't feel God's presence in my life is because I am not doing the Great Commission. God doesn't promise, lo, I'm with you always, when you just kind of do your thing. He's saying, no, you will experience me when you're about my business Because it's a God thing when someone's life is touched by me, you get a front seat and you get to be a part of it. And so I am with you in the good times and the hard times. So Christ follower, say this with all respect, all grace. If God doesn't seem to be showing up in your life, have you given your attention For a period of time, not just a day, not just going to church one time, not just cracking your Bible every day for like three days in a row and woo, I'm doing, you know. Have you you actually given your attention to creating Christ followers in the wake of your life? Because I, I can almost guarantee it that if that is the motivation, if that's the pattern of your life, you're going to find that God is present all the time because he uses your life to touch other people's lives. And when he's doing that, there are God moments everywhere. So just maybe it's not that God isn't showing up. Maybe it's you and I aren't showing up to the Great Commission and aren't expressing that. And when you do show up to being a Great Commission Christ follower, You find yourself put in stressful places, nervous places, uncomfortable places, but those are the moments where God loves to show up and say, Dave, it's okay. You can make it through this. Watch me work. When loving God and loving others stretches us, scares us, and takes us to the end of ourselves, our trust is strengthened. You want more trust in your life, you have to have opportunities to trust him. You have to, in a sense, test his solidness in your life. If you never take a step onto the ice and you need to make sure the ice is safe, you never discover it's safe until you put your weight of your life on it. You never, in a sense, find out how God wants to be so full of your life, a part of your life, until you really are putting not just your eternity on him, but tomorrow, this afternoon, and you put the weight of your life on him. Proverbs, again, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this a little bit if we can get to it. You're going to see all of us who are in Christian world go, oh, I love this verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in every ways, and he'll make your path straight. Some of us have memorized it. 
I like the easy read version. Trust the Lord completely and don't depend on your own knowledge. With every step you take, think about what he wants and he will help you go the right way. So, great commission. Expressing a love for God and a love for others. I want to give you two um, ways, two more ways of living that out. And it's simple. It's simply Christian. And the first one may seem a little self-serving, but here it goes, is loving our church. Loving our church. Do you love your church? Have you found a church you can love? And may it be bold enough, if you have been a Christ follower for a while and have not found a church you can sink your teeth into and love it, I don't think it's because all the churches on the planet or in our county uh, are not good enough. I think it has something to do with your heart, something to do with my heart. There are no perfect churches, and if there was a perfect church, at least in my case, the minute I show up, the church is not perfect anymore. So if you're hunting and your excuse for being all in and you could be hurt by a bunch of churches, that happens. People are people. Churches are just a collection of Christ followers. An assembly, that's what it means. It's not a building. It's a gathering. If you're not a part of a local church or you're having troubles with that, that that's you. So find one. And, and be okay with the fact that it's not perfect. That doesn't mean it should be sloppy. It doesn't mean it should be unkind. It, it, it shouldn't be careless, all those kinds of things. It shouldn't be doctrinally in error. Remember, there's no perfect church out there. But if those things are not in the way, but someone said something that wasn't that nice to you, you don't turn your back on the whole church. We get very upset at least in our county, when people make a blanket statement about law enforcement, there was a bad person, and they say all law enforcement's bad. We get fired up with that, as we ought to. Do you get as fired up about that when people apply that kind of thinking to a church? No. Same, same thing. So love our church. Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church. And it's interesting. I've always wanted to look at that and see if it said Christ so loved people that he died, and he does say that. But in this case, he, he uses church, assembly of believers. We're so individualistic focused that we think of the individual, but the concept here is not only did Jesus die for individuals, but he died for church. He, he shed his blood. I have a friend, and he was, this is back in the 60s, he was in seminary and learning all this stuff, and he's way more smart than I am, and he just loves telling the story where he and the other seminary students were sitting in the cafeteria just complaining about how ineffective church people were, what jerks they were, da, 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 da. and a professor came by and said, what are you doing? And he got into the thing, and he, they thought that he would kind of like, yeah, you're right, I've, look what I've seen. And he basically said, how dare you talk that way? My Lord and Savior died for that church. He shed his blood for that church. So knock it off, he said. And my friend said he learned that lesson 
Doesn't mean churches are perfect. Doesn't mean you look the other way, sweep things under the rug. But you realize that Jesus loved the church, individuals, and the church, the concept, the body, so much that he gave his life through it. So how do we do this? So we love the church through who we are. We take who we are as a person. We find a local church. Yes, we can be involved in things beyond the local church, but we find a local church, and we love it through how God has made us. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. The assumption is God has given you work. And then sink yourself into that. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. That's our role. So how do we love the church? We take who we are and harness it with a local church. Some of you have seen this before. It comes out of uh, Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. I, I love this thinking. The one thing I don't like about this thinking is it can become too consumer driven when it comes to what I'm going to show you. And so there are some times where I look at my shape and there's some things that don't totally fit, but I do it anyway because the job needs to get done. Hopefully my whole life isn't that, but there are times at home I say to Cindy, I'm just not shaped to do the dishes. It's just not my thing. Not wired to my hands, you know, dry up and they get crusty. I just, I just not do my back. I'm tall. The, you know, we should have put, put the sink four inches taller, you know, all this. So I'm just not shaped for that. And she goes, oh, that's fine, Dave. You don't have to do anything about that. No, she doesn't say that. I have to do the dishes occasionally. I have to vacuum someday. I have to take the trash out, all those kinds of fun things. And uh, I'm very lucky because Cindy does most of that work. But every once in a while I have to show up, even though I'm not shaped that way. The same is true with church, body of Christ. Hopefully the majority of your service is in an area that you're not shaped to do. But some days you got to just do it. So don't let this be so, con- oh, none of the- I don't like doing any of those things. I don't have any abilities, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you become a Christ follower, God joins your life. The Holy Spirit joins you. A person of the Trinity indwells your heart. And along with that, the concept is that he gives you a spiritual gift. He gives you a gift that supernaturally can be used for the betterment of the local body of Christ. You get at least one. When I talked about careful observation or investigation, don't spend a lifetime. I have friends that have gone to school, seminary, have a billion degrees, and they've not done anything with their lives. They're still investigating. It's been 30 years. Stop investigating. Just do something. And I found, maybe I'm just too simple of a Christian, I start doing something, and I find out real quickly after a little bit of a time whether that thing's for me. Sometimes I discover there's some things that I would never have guessed is for me, and all of a sudden I like doing it. Unbelievable. Sometimes I find things that I used to like doing that it seemed to be wired, and it, it, the ship kind of sails a little bit later, and I'm on to something else. You're given something to do. Don't take forever figuring it out. On-the-job training. Your heart, what do you have a passion for? Figure it out. 
Sometimes you, you, you'll discover a whole new ministry. Now, that means you need to stick with it. It's pretty frustrating when someone has a passion about something, they get it moving in a church, a church gives resources to it, and then they all of a sudden say, oh, I think the Lord's leading me to do this. And they just they were, the, they were the champion of it, and there was no one else. Don't be that way. But what you have a heart for. Look at your abilities. What natural abilities do you have? I come in sometimes, and the furnace isn't working, and I call Mike. I don't go in there with a screwdriver and start taking things apart. Thank you. See, thank you. (laughs) That's not my ability. I can at least call. I don't say, oh, it's not my thing, and I just don't call. I can call, but know your abilities. And have honest people that help you with your abilities. Have people around you that say, you know, Dave, singing is not your thing. But my mother loves it when I sing. Well, yeah, your mother loves it because she loves you, not because you sing good. Know those things. Have people that will tell you, so embarrassing to be doing something that you think you're good at, you really aren't good at it, and nobody has the guts to say, hey, I think you'd be better at this. Personality. Each of us have a distinct personality, how you're wired, how that fits into it. And lastly, your experiences, your triumphs, your failures, your heartaches. Some of your heartaches could be mightily used by God. Mightily used by God. You still don't understand why that happened. Don't get it. But all of a sudden you find that it could be mightily used by God. Uh, As a family, we've gone through some things, nothing horrendous, horrendous, but it's amazed me how Cindy uses some of those situations and comes alongside other women, whether it's people part of our church or, or people literally around the country, and they have a conversation about this. And I go, wow, she's... Her experience is being used to help somebody else out, and it wasn't a pleasant experience. That kind of, I'm not going to say it makes it worth it, but it kind of seems like it might be worth it. Use your shape. So we harness our shape. If you're a part of a church, if you call a church your home, you ought to be using your shape to do something with it. Absolutely. Not only to get things done, but for your spiritual growth. We talked earlier, if you have been prepared but aren't expressing it, you're setting yourself up for internal turmoil. He has shaped each person in turn. Now he watches everything we do. And yes, this is to scare you a little bit. It's to make you realize that, wow, I have one life and I don't want to waste it. And God is watching. God is evaluating, not your neighbor, not somebody else, not me, thankfully. It's not me who makes that call, but God is watching. The excuses won't cut it. He is watching. So, love your church. Love your church well. Use who you are. Also, use what you have. 
And if this is your first time here or listening or it's your been only a couple times, you go, here it comes. Dave's going to talk about money. <laughs> I knew it. That's all they want. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't want your money. I don't want your money. I want you. Because when God has your heart, he has all your stuff and your money. So I don't want your money. I want your heart. I'm going for it all. God's going for it all. God wants all of what you have. And the reality is he's given it to you. Proverbs 7, 8, we talk trust in the Lord with all your heart, and then all of a sudden we move on a little bit. Don't trust in your own wisdom, but fear and respect the Lord. Stay away from evil, shun evil, put, turn your back towards it. I think some of us are a little too cozy with things that are not aligned with God's heart. We need to know God well enough and be sense enough to figure those things out. That's something you figure out a lot of times on your own. If you do this, it will be like refreshing drink and medicine for your body. So in other words, you, you wonder why you're down, you wonder all that stuff. It's because you need to take your mind, take a look at life, turn your back on things that are out of line with, and all of a sudden it will re rejuvenate you rather than missing something, it rejuvenates you. Sometimes I think of those things along the edge that really aren't God-honoring, and you have a little taste of it or whatever, you're on the edge, and you go, well, that kind of makes life a little bit more bearable, whatever, and God's saying, no, 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 no. You would find that if you aligned yourself with me, you would actually be refreshed beyond what you can imagine because you're trusting in me, not your wisdom of self-medicating it, whatever way you do that, whether it's the way you spend, what you think about, what you watch, how you whatever it is, you know what that is. Rather than going God's way, you go your way. But when we trust in God, we find a rejuvenation takes place in our soul, in our heart. So when we think about finances and we think about giving, uh, bottom line is it ought to be a priority. It's interesting, verses 9 and 10. We all like verses 5 and 6. We take those out, trust in the Lord, he'll, you know. But we forget there's some more thoughts here. It goes down to verses 9 and 10. This is a part of the whole idea. I'm telling you, you can't trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your heart, and then blow off the rest of the verses. <laughs> doesn't work that way. I can't trust. Well, have you gone through the rest of the passage? Honor the Lord with your wealth. First of all, then we go, ah, I'm not wealthy. You are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. You are extremely wealthy. Just do a little Google and see how much other people have and live on. You are wealthy. The, the most financially challenged of us in this area are wealthy compared to the majority of the world. Majority. I woke up not wondering about what to eat. I had choices. Oh, I don't really feel like that anymore. You know, I want that. You know, majority of the world is not having those experiences. Then your barns will be full with grain and your barrels will be overflowing with wine. The idea is that when you put God first, God takes care of everything. Also, I'm going to say when you put God first, all of a sudden how full your barns are stops mattering as much as long as you have a roof over your head, your family's taken care of, you can have a celebration every once in a while, you are good. So generosity, giving, is a priority, and it's to your local church. Sounds very self-promoting, but it is to your local church. Shared this one time before. I remember um, 
talking to some people, and they were sending their kids off to snow camp, and it was expensive. It was a couple hundred bucks for their kids. I know when we send our kids to snow camp and gave them spending money, it could be like three, four, five hundred dollars and they thought that was their tithe. That was their offering. I said, no, 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 you're paying for a service. You're paying to get rid of your kids for a weekend. <laughs> that's, not, that's not an offering. <laughs> you're buying something. Don't play those games. You can spend a lot of time figuring out how not to be generous towards God and kind of feel okay with it. Kind of feel okay, oh, I don't like that philosophy of the church. I think they wasted money by doing this or doing that or whatever. I don't think it's going to cut it. Remember, God is watching. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit convict you. I don't want to feel you feel guilty. That's not my role. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, you better lean in and listen. If Dave Spencer's making you feel guilty, you can just write that off. It's not what this is about. So, what do you do? So, you make it a priority. I'm going to fly along here. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. It puts priorities. Cindy and I have been tithing now for decades. Uh, tithe wasn't the stopping point. Now it's even higher than that, even though we earn less money than we did, let's say, 10 years ago. And that's not to get a pat on the back. It's just that God takes care of our needs. Um, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It, it, I, I love that fact. I love that fact. I love when we have a little extra money. What can we do with it? How can we leverage that to be good in somebody else's life? Not just how can I go buy my new thing that I want. Helps us trust. Helps us to put God first. So when we're not being generous with our money, when we're not tithing as a starting point, when we're not doing those kinds of things, uh, it, we're, we have a hiccup in our putting God first, which comes back to loving God and loving others. There's a hiccup in there. Also, there's the idea of uh, giving proportionately. That's what we call a tithe, 10%. Every Sunday, each of you make a generous offering by taking a portion of whatever God has blessed you with. The idea is that you're pre-giving, you're pre-thinking, you're giving first. We, we don't look at our finances and go, what can we afford to give? We've already set what we're going to give. And then we give it because we think we've responded to the Lord, and then the Lord takes care of it. As you can see, I'm not starving. I'm not starving. So this tithing thing beyond tithing has not affected. I drove in a car today. I arrived. Uh, I've got a house. You know, you know I, I think most of you are in that place. Now, there are some extremes, and that, that changes things a little bit. But for 99% of us, this idea of proportional giving a place to start you don't have to get so wired down that every little piece is. I said to somebody I was talking about this today, uh, you know, we get insurance through where Cindy works. I have an idea about how much that insurance gives us. So I am not at the point where going, insurance equals this much, so I'm tithing off my insurance too. We've decided to proportionally give off our salaries. But again, that's not the, that doesn't mean that I can take all 90% and just blow it on Dave Spencer. Woo, party time. No, I, I've, got to, I've got to leverage all of that. I've got to think that through. 
Also going along with this idea is spontaneous giving. Spontaneous, having a gentle, open heart. I like when we can order our finances in such a way that when there's an extra need, we can actually help. Sometimes it's sacrificially. Sometimes it's not that much a sacrificial because we've budgeted in such a way that we're not up to our eyeballs, and that took a little time so that there's actually a couple extra dollars sitting over here, and we can very easily, just like when the car breaks down because we have a budget for that, we can make the repair without reorganizing everything. We can do the same when it comes to our generosity. I love giving spontaneously. Like I said, when that $600, I don't know if I said it, when that $600 check came, I, I knew it was coming. I had already talked with Cindy, and we were going to give that to somebody who we knew was out of work. So we cashed it or got a direct deposit, got the $600, and I brought it over in an envelope, and I said, God loves you, and he wants me to show his love to you by giving you this envelope. Oh, I can't pay you back. I said, it's, this, is, this is not me. This is God. Now, we can't always do that kind of thing, but isn't it fun when you can? Then I see God showing up. I see God working in his life, open, all this kind of stuff. I see things happening other places. So it's just, it's just a fantastic thing to love our church, to be spontaneous. So the question here is, will you commit to loving your church through the giving of your time, your financial resources, and your acts of service as you use your God given incredible shape? Yes or no? And you don't have to answer that to me. You answer that to God. And someday you will answer to God for that question. Something like that. I don't know if it's exactly worded like that, but it will be something like that. Do you love your church? So great commission. Loving church it's a part of getting the word out. We can do more together than we can do apart. And just real quickly, loving the world. God so loved the world. So this is different than loving others that have a Christian connection. This is loving the greater world. At one point, you were a part of the greater world, and God loved you so much that he gave his son. I encourage you to go back and Listen to or watch uh, Len Robinson speak about unchanged orders from January 3rd. He talks about the idea that we are to connect people to Christ. We are to love others. I love the way Ellen from Seinfeld responds when she's trying to figure out her boyfriend's thoughts about eternity and God. Well, and they forgot to deliver your paper today. Why don't you uh, describe that one? But that belongs to Mr. Potato Guy. That's his. Come on, I get it. <laughs> well, if you want it, you get it. Sorry, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> oh, but it's okay for me. Oh, what do you care? You know where you're going. <laughs> All right, that is it. I can't live like this. See, and where do where do non-Christians get the ideas like that? Because some of us act that way. We reap the benefits of somebody doing something they shouldn't really do, but we enjoy the results of it. And the world sees that. The world isn't faked out by that. So they wrap it up. This is what they talk right, about. What did I do? 
David, I'm going to hell. The worst place in the world. It's gonna be rough. You should be trying to save me. Don't boss me. This is why you're going to hell. I am not going to hell. And if you think I'm going to hell, you should care that I'm going to hell, even though I am not. You stole my Jesus fish, didn't you? Yeah. Where did they get the idea that there's a group of us that claim there's a heaven and a hell? And it looks like we as Christ followers really don't care. Where'd they get that idea from? They got it from us. Will you commit to loving the local, the world locally, not just missions, and even globally? That's on top of it, not the other way around. As you strive not only to point to Christ where you live, work, and play, but also to make yourself aware of and even available as the Holy Spirit leads to the physical and spiritual needs of the greater world. Loving the world. That's what loving the world is about. Do we as Christ followers identify with that? Does the unsaved world, the world that doesn't know God, do they know that that is a passion? Do they actually see it lived out in our lives? Back to Bob Golf. When you love like Jesus, you live like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that someone loved you so much because of your love for them that they loved on us. And many of us in this room have said yes to Jesus, yes to you, because someone was great at loving us in the name of Jesus. Father, help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be people that live the great commandment, live the great commission, love our church even when it's not perfect, and love the greater world. Our world desperately, desperately needs you. And the world desperately needs us to live like Jesus. That's simple Christianity. Help us, motivate us, compel us to be that kind of person. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.